Well, hello, Date Nighters, our FTG listeners, Mission Bible fam. Hope your fall is off to a great start. Yay, fall! I love this time of year because football's on. And it's time for autumn decorations. And football. And pumpkin pie. Football. Oh, you. (laughs) (laughs) I have a question for you. And Ethan, by the way, what's the difference between a Dallas Cowboy fan and a crying baby? What? Eventually, the baby stops its whining. Ouch! Okay. You like that? Well, we sure hope nobody's marriage is crumbling because of football, but just in case football's got your number or possibly and, and, and likely something a little more serious, we're doing this pod on conflict resolution, kind of a, I would say a culmination of the last month or so of talks we've done on emotions and anger, just yes. to provide some tools for when disagreements arise. Yes, this is one of those things that pops up often because our spouse is the person we're closest to, we depend most on and with most often. Yeah, but we still hurt one another um, and we want to get realigned. And we need to realign God's way. Amen. Before we jump in, Bree and I are super excited to be sharing at the Blueprint Family Conference next month in the Phoenix area. So if you are in AZ, we hope you'll join us and info for that can be found at valleychristianaz.org. Well, you ready for this, my love? Yes. Ethan, ready? Hike. (laughs) How dare you say that to me? (laughs) What did I say? I don't know, but how dare you? Okay, my love. Well, let's do a little bit of background and then we'll kind of be flipping roles a little bit today. We're all guide the conversation, but you'll do some of the commentary, hopefully to really benefit some of the gals who are wrestling with resentment and frustration. So we're talking about conflict, which is from the Latin to strike, which can be physical or verbal, um, and technically just infers two parties that are at war or harming one another. Right. And like we talked about a couple weeks back, you and I still have conflict even mm-hmm. after 19 years of marriage, but learning to resolve that conflict God's way has become a real blessing to our marriage. Yeah, because the reality is every one of us in the flesh either tends towards um fight or flight. So running towards conflict or away from it, but that is not God's intention. No. In God's design, differences don't need to be division, but can actually be connection. Things that lead to our benefit. Tweetable. (laughs) Not division, but connection. Yeah. Strengthen our relationship and sharpen us. And the illustration that you and I have used over the years with couples is imagine in a disagreement, the way you're currently engaging, like playing tennis, for example, is you're batting the ball, the issue back and forth at one another, kind of who hits harder, who's quick tongue, who's fast to the net. And eventually there's going to be a winner or loser. And we always encourage the couple to start playing doubles where, you know, the, for example, the husband walks around the net, gets on the wife's side and they start playing together against the issue. I remember one time at a restaurant, you even got out of the booth that was facing me. You sat next to me and we faced down the problem together. Together, like it was sitting across from us and that was so sweet yeah they call me mr tender right <laughs> i remember one time we even danced we oh, turned the jukebox on yes we in front of everybody and young uh, young youngins young love puppy love but that's totally the kind of attitude christ desires for us right that's right so let's start by defining conflict and big disclaimer here we're not talking about healthy conflict for example using the scripture in a self-controlled and logical manner to hammer out key doctrines. That's part of church history. We're talking about the interpersonal stuff, okay? Not dialogical learning. So this is unhealthy stuff, hurtful, spiteful, degrading, cutting, slanderous, the kind of things that happen often in a marriage or in a home. 
Can you read Ephesians and Matthew for us real quick, my love? Sure. Ephesians 4, 1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And Matthew 5, 43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Let's start by pointing out right there that the Bible doesn't just define conflict as a difference of opinion um, or something that's not a big deal, but defines it as a real sin and something that must be dealt with. Totally. Stuart Scott defines it as when two parties sin against one another in words and actions and then are in opposition to one another, which is why we use the tennis court illustration. Yeah. And from the Bible verses you just read, we learned some valuable things. Number one, that God wants us to do everything that we can not to offend others. Number two, he tells us to love, pray, and do good, even when it's an enemy. And number three, just as he shows common grace to believers and unbelievers alike, he asks us to follow his example of love as well. And it's important to let that sink in, that so often what the world assumes as a right to Mm. be angry or hurt or in conflict with someone about, the Lord says something quite different. He says, try to be at peace, pray for them, do good to them, and do it even when they don't reciprocate. And I'll just apply that to all of our marriages, date nighters around the world, because I know there are a couple listening or couples listening, and one or both of you are having conflict. You're striking out verbally at one another, um, and you each have, in quote, a right to be upset, to fire back and hold a grudge. But that's the very thing that scripture is warning against. Yes. And the reason that God doesn't want conflict ignored, so let's kind of move on to the next section here, is he doesn't want it to fester. Um, He wants it to be dealt with appropriately and immediately. It's because of how quickly it will divide your home, divide your love, and divide your family. It really does. I'm always amazed at how quickly a small disagreement can turn into a tidal wave of Mm. sinful beliefs. It's alarming how the flesh can turn one slight, like a short answer, into an HD screening reeling with imagined (laughs) disaster. One little comment, and then it's like, he doesn't love me. I knew there was someone else. She's not a Christian. (laughs) Totally. And if I allow even a tiny seed to remain, it will blossom. So let's talk about that. Why can conflict grow so quickly? quickly. Why does conflict, if you don't deal with it, it just absolutely explode in your mind? Well, I think there's a couple things that come to mind. Number one is what the Bible says about offenses. Like when Proverbs 17, 27 says, he who restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You see, there's a very serious cause and effect of conflict. One I totally relate to in my flesh. And it's a wrong response to people who sin against me. So we have to combat this. Uh, And here God says we need to confront and control our response. Stay humble and gracious and speak the truth in love. So on that, you say control our response. Why is it so hard to respond in a controlled way to people who offend us? Actually, that's the second thing I'll add. Number two is that so much of my desire to fight back is rooted in pride. And like James says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? So no matter what the disagreement is on the outside, the inside explosion often stems from a heart that's self-exalted self-serving and ultimately desirous of its own less. 
And it's interesting there that James is using military terms. When he says quarrel, for example, in the Greek, that's a military campaign, warfare, soldiers marching to battle, and conflict was the word for a little skirmish. So he's really saying all the big wars or even the little tiny arguments and spats happen because you long for something that you're not getting. Right. And that can be desiring good things or bad things. The point is my heart craves something that I'm not getting. So I get frustrated. And when I picture or state them as demands, now I'm in sin. Hmm. And there's going to be a guaranteed breakdown in relationship. And that's why 1 Corinthians 10 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Meaning when I'm in the midst of a conflict with you or anyone, I need to be asking, what is it that I'm wanting for me and change it to what should I want for others? That's so good, my love. Let me slide that right over to application and let's discuss the how of it. How do we resolve conflict or even better, how would we avoid it altogether? Yeah, I think a really easy way to do this is just read a list from Stuart Scott's book on conflict resolution. The book is Communication and Conflict Resolution. It's on Amazon for like nine bucks. Yes. So in this list, he starts with what I call a put off list, which are inappropriate ways to deal with conflict. And honestly, the techniques that worldly psychologists so Mm. often tell us to try. And then after he'll give us what I call a put on uh, list or ways the Bible wants us to handle conflict. So let's just list them out real quick like we've done in the past, one at a time, okay? So the first put off, this is these are the wrong ways to handle conflict, is a really common one. We see it all the time in the movies, and that's just... Uh, the, the idea, I'm just going to let time heal this. Yeah. Healing alone is not what is needed, nor what honors God. Like we talked about, what is needed is confession and forgiveness and repentance. And God wants us to deal with things quickly. That's really good. Now, here's another one, another on the put off list, the wrong way, which is let's just try to bury it. Yeah. Again, trying to just forget about what happened or stay so busy that you don't have time to think only works for so long. And a person who lives this way will accumulate many unresolved issues, which can result in more sin, bitterness, depression, and even physical sickness. Sure. And I'm sure a lot of people listening are going, oh, that's totally us. You Mm -hmm. know, it's just like, let, let, let time pass and it'll be okay. Let's just bury it and pretend it never happened. Can we pause right there? What would you say is the difference between forgiving the person and then putting it off? Mm, I'll let you come back to that because you're the (laughs) biblical counselor. (laughs) We can talk about that at the end. But let's just add a third one real quick and stay on the list just so we don't lose track. A third put off is just waiting for the other party to initiate. Which is obviously in direct violation of God's command to go resolve any problems someone has with you. And a fourth one, also very common, a put off you don't want to do is punishing the other person until they change. Yes, because people often do things to punish their spouse until they change and assume blame, like the silent treatment or harshness, withholding intimacy or other things. I think we talked about that a couple episodes ago. Yes, we did. And that's a great place for all of us to pause. And let's just go back through that list again real quick here. I'm scrolling. Just let time heal it. Just bury it. Just wait for the other party to initiate the correction or punish the other person until they change. Mm -hmm. So let's just go ahead and pause there and let the Holy Spirit kind of take our lives and hold them up against the word like a mirror. And let's go ahead and see if we're responsible for any poor conduct in handling our conflicts. And so everyone can just take a moment. Let's all think about it. Are you possibly responsible for any one of those four things which the Lord would not condone in your conflict resolution? Okay, let's jump over to put-ons. And before we start anything, we need to be praying because if the Lord's not in this, it's going to crash and burn. And side note, by the way, isn't it interesting that in Scripture, Jesus never specifies 
when talking personally, pray for your mom or pray for your kids. And of course, that's all expected. But the only relationship he ever specifies prayer for is pray for your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Wow, that's so good. Yeah, so number one, just getting going here, make sure you're praying for your spouse, especially if your spouse has hurt you. Now, the first put on is, you ready? Go to your spouse and ask forgiveness for your own failures. Yes, it's interesting that conflict resolution doesn't start with them. It starts with me. Just like Jesus said, I need to remove the telephone pole in my own eye before pointing out the little dust speck in theirs. And number two, the second put on, we've already put off four, now we're putting on four more, is express a desire to resolve the conflict fully. Let them know that you want to fix it. Yes, and this means schedule time to sit down together. Ask your hubby, for example, to write down any ways you may have hurt or offended him and ask that he jot down scriptures to support it. And number three, the third put on, is come together at an appointed or scheduled time. Yes, the key here is to schedule time to come with written notes to pray before starting and really make it a goal to align, not trying to win the argument, but win for the glory of God. And we're right back to the tennis court illustration. It is so easy throughout the week to just be snarky, to fire... And we don't realize that those little tiny discourtesies are actually adding up and creating hard hearts. And so hold on to things, write them down, make sure you have a little safe space to talk, and then you can deal with these things when you're both in the right headspace. Number four put on is review God's rules for communication. Which just means we agree on a sign or a hint, like Tony uses the word sunflower. He'll call me sunflower in case there's a violation. And the biblical rules of communicating include being a good listener, speaking truth, speaking in love, speaking with the right response, you know, God's glory and my, my spouse is good. And then speaking clearly as unemotionally as possible. Well said my sunflower. (laughs) And number five, the last one is each person gets to take a turn. Nobody dominates. Nobody dominates. (laughs) It's my turn to to dominate. (laughs) No, I'm dominating. (laughs) Nobody dominates the conversation. Totally. This is huge because after each person has started with confession, hearts will be soft and then both people will be on the same side of the court plane. Doubles. And I think it'd be tempting to just end there, kind of give a list and say, hey, let's wash our hands and walk away. But just in case there's somebody out there, you're listening and you're going, are you really sure this will help? I mean, you know, this doesn't seem like a lot and I've got a whole bunch of baggage here. Why does this matter? Will it really change anything? I just want to quickly tell you why healthy conflict can be so beneficial. Mm -hmm. Truly engaging your spouse in a way that the Bible commends. Okay. Number one is that it encourages both of you to be in the scriptures. So Psalm 119 is clear. It's good that I was afflicted so that I may learn your statutes. I mean, it's during the conflict resolution that you're growing in your doctrine and really coming to grips with your understanding of scripture and how to live. Second is that it's going to help us to be more diligent in our communication, where we work to ground each word in truth, proper logic, avoiding red herrings and personal attacks and all the other baggage that comes with worldly versions of warfare. And then number three, this produces maturity and in endurance in our relationships, including the chance to lay ourselves down and practice servanthood. And nothing makes us more like Jesus than serving others. Philippians 2 is clear. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, and do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard the other as more important than 
yourselves. Amen. Any last thoughts, my sunflower? Oh, just to the ladies, if you're in a marriage that's circling in conflict, pick up Stuart Scott's book and don't wait on hubby, you know, be the change starter. And you did that for us. We've told this story before, you know, earlier in our marriage, we were being snarky with one another. And I think it actually that this night it came about because we were frustrated with one another. And then I found, do you remember the hostess donuts where <laughs> they had, you know, like a pack of eight of them and they had the white fluffy powdery stuff on the outside and then the raspberry on the inside. Oh. And you love those so much. Oh. And you're like, we were going tit for tat back and forth and I I was frustrated, but I thought, oh, there's a pack of donuts up there, so everything will be okay. And I open up the cupboard, and I reach in to get the full pack of donuts. I'm going to stuff my face so that I feel good for the night. And it was empty. There was like half of one donut left out of the eight that we had bought that morning. And I just looked up into the nether world, and I said, can you say fat? Yep, that happened. Hey, that was like year three of marriage, so don't hold this against me. And everything just goes silent. And uh, by the way, that was what prompted Bree the next night. Get this. I come home from work. Both of my kids are in their high chairs. Everything is silent. She's got a little apron on and she curtsies and she says, dinner is served, my Lord. I'll never forget that. I was thinking this gal is going to love and serve me even when I'm being a total buffoon. And that night actually changed everything for us. I remember calling your mom. She told me to read about Sarah in First <laughs> Peter 3. I guess I... I took things a little too literal, but <laughs> <laughs> we got to bring it back. I like that dinner is served, my Lord. So it changed everything. Brothers and sisters, God's way does soften our hearts. So if you've conflict, pray, confess, set up an appointed time and meet each other humbly, honestly, and hopefully. Amen. Heavenly father, we've spent a few weeks now talking about marital hurt and we know that there are some listening in pain since walking the aisle marriage hasn't been what they thought it would be words have been said promises broken and some dreams even dashed but lord you don't want us to bury it you don't want us to hide it you don't want us to pretend it away so help us to be christian about it and please reconcile our homes we ask these things in jesus name amen date night fam we will be back in a week a big thanks to the entire for the gospel team everyone at mission bible and ethan our producer until next time keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family sunflower